Standing, please, friends, out of love and affection for God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. And let's turn together to the book of Jonah. You'll find the pages printed for you inside the bulletin. Jonah chapter 4. We've been working our way through this short book and we come to the conclusion of it today in chapter 4. We began a few weeks ago with Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah's spiritual decline, his spiraling down as he ran away from God and he ran away from God's word. But then we move to Jonah chapter 2 and the renewal of the prophet as inside the, the great fish he cried out to this loving, compassionate, gracious, heavenly father who forgave him of his sin. And then in chapter 3 last week we looked at the salvation that came to the Ninevites that the power of the gospel would go forth through the proclamation of the word and the lost would be saved. And today we come to chapter 4, and doggone it, we just have some twist and a change that just doesn't make sense. We, we turn this corner, that we, we have this unexpected turn of events, and we simply don't even know how things end. What is the turn of events? What is, what is it that rocks our world even today? Well, let's give our attention to it. Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of God. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out, sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from the left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Friends, this is the word of the Lord. What do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands. Our Father, we believe that to be true, that your word will stand forever. Your word is open before us now, and so we would pray, O oh Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to behold beautiful and wonderful things from it. There is great news for us to capture here in Jonah chapter 4. So be our teacher, O oh Holy Spirit, and give us grace upon grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. Well, isn't that interesting? 
That is a, a statement that Jennifer and I actually use. When something kind of rocks our world, when we were expecting one thing to happen and something quite different happens, we just look at one another and say, well, isn't that interesting? I've come to realize, though, in uh, the older I get, that I use that phrase more in connection with my daughters than I do with anyone else. Before my youngest daughter moved out to California, to Los Angeles, she and her sister, my oldest daughter, lived together in Chicago. My oldest daughter still lives there. Jennifer and I used to go up to Chicago to see the girls. We would never stay in their little apartment uh, because they just, they're, they're slobs. They're just slobs. And, and I just, I want everything decently and in, in order. And they have this dog that sheds hair everywhere and stuff. So we would, we would be in our hotel with the girls and we would say, okay, girls, tomorrow, let's do this. Let's get up and we're going to get on the train and we're going to go down here. And we're going to meet you for this. Or, but no, 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 just come on to the hotel. Just come to the hotel and we'll, we'll get together and we'll do this. Okay, we got it. You got it. You know what? Okay, okay, okay. And then they go off to their own house. And then the next morning, Jennifer and I get up, we get ourselves ready, and then we just sit there. And we wait, and we wait, and we wait. And they don't show up, and we're texting, and they're not answering, and we're calling, and they're not answering, and on and on it goes, until they finally show up, and we say, we had a plan, we had a decision. Well, yeah, we decided we wanted to do something else. We decided we were going to stop here and do this instead of that, and so we just look at each other and say, well, isn't that interesting? I think that really does define us, my friends. When we think about the will of our Heavenly Father, is it not true, is this not a true statement that you really do want your will over God's will? We want our way over God's way? We come up with the plan that we think is best for us, that will get us what it is that we want, and we, we pursue our will, our way, over God's will in God's way. That's what we find here in Jonah chapter 4. Jonah, you remember, had inside the belly of the fish had confessed his sin. He seemed to have this spiritual awakening, this spiritual renewal. And now here we have this unexpected twist of things at the very end of the book. But friends, take note of this. This unexpected twist of things at the end of the book was for Jonah's good and for your good as well. Because what we find here is God identifies himself, defines himself as the God who is full of grace and compassion, slow to anger, abounding in love, and one who loves to forgive us of our sin. God remains faithful. God remains this way. God remains gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. Uh, and from sending calamity and forgiving us of our sin. God delights in remaining that way in his faithfulness. And the good news to us then is, even in the midst of our anger, we read this four times in this particular passage, that Jonah was burning with anger to the point that he wanted to die. Even in our anger, when we want our will over God's will, our way over God's way, God comes along right where we are in the heat of that anger and he reminds us that he is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger 
and abounding in his in love. He delights in us being filled with joy, not filled with anger. He delights in us doing his will, his way, and being filled with joy in doing so instead of trying to do our own will and our own way. Four times we read the word angry. Twice when Jonah is talking about himself, and then twice when God says it about Jonah. Do you have a right to be angry? Four different times. And what God comes along to say to Jonah in the midst of this anger, in the heat of this anger, is get rid of the anger and grab hold of joy. The joy of knowing that I am gracious and compassionate and slow to anger, abounding in love, and that I am forgiving your sins, that I am in charge of all things. Today is Reformation Sunday. A day where we delight in what happened 499 years ago on October the 31st when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg. And the sovereignty of God was the core of the Reformation. That God was in control of all things. He was reigning supreme over all things. And in addition to a focus on the sovereignty of God... We also had this focus on the providence of God. That God is controlling all things, caring for us because he is filled with grace and compassion. He's slow to anger, abounding in love. That ought to fill us with great joy. But look what we find in verse 1 and 2. Jonah's displeased. He becomes angry. And in verse 2, he makes his... He makes this confession of faith. He says it. He says it out loud. Lord, I knew, I knew when I was back home that you were going to be that kind of a God. And that kind of a God is a God who is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. But it seems like what Jonah was doing, instead of this great revival that took place inside the fish, and then his faithfulness in proclaiming the gospel so that all of the Ninevites were being saved, now it seems like he plops himself down in verse 5, just going to see what happens, going to see what the Lord does. And it's almost as if Jonah is saying, 40 days and Nineveh will be defeated. 39 days and Nineveh will be defeated. 38 days and you suckers are going to die. It seems like he has his own will, his own way of doing things. And he is counting down and he even starts that countdown by confessing his faith. I have a God who is filled with grace and compassion and mercy, long-suffering. He confesses this with his mouth. But he doesn't believe it in his heart. Perhaps he went to Nineveh just so that he could say to God, you wanted me to go, and so I finally went. I just went. I didn't want them to be saved. I just went. I don't want those people to be saved. Remember, these are the ones that took him into captivity, into Assyria. And so Jonah is fighting for his way, his will, even while he is confessing, making a profession of his confession of faith. My God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, but doggone it, he's not doing things the way I want it to be done. He said it, but he wasn't living it. 
And that's the good news of this gospel that God gives us here, friends. Listen, it's not just this confession that we have up here in our heads or that we form on our lips with our mouths that I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. I'm not just confessing it, but it has actually penetrated my heart. That's what the gospel does. The gospel comes along and not seals to my mind, but now captures my heart to give me this understanding that my God is full of, full of grace and compassion. He's long-suffering. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. How deep the Father's love for us. It's a head and a heart faith, my friends. That's the good news that we have. It changes the very way we live our life. Martin Luther, as he got older, he really suffered physically with kidney stones and all, all of the, the pain that the, 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 the Catholic Church had caused him to the point of excommunication. And towards the end of his life, he moped around and he complained and he was bitter. One particular day, he came downstairs and his wife, Katie, was dressed all in black sitting at the breakfast table. And he said, oh my, Katie, who has died? Katie said, God, God has died. Oh, Katie, Luther said, you should say, not say such a thing. God is not dead. If God is not dead, dear Martin, then why do you live the way you live? Has this gospel changed you, friend? Is it just something that you're saying, like our dear brother Jonah here? If this gospel has grabbed you, then friend, why are you filled with fear? Why are you filled with doubt? Why are you filled with anger? If this gospel has grabbed your heart, not simply your head, but your heart as well, there is no fear. My God is in control. He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. I cannot lose the hope of my resurrection. Why should I doubt? He's the giver of the gift. I didn't win it. I can't lose it. He's given it to me. Why would I be filled with anger when I don't get my way, when his way is good, pleasing, and perfect? Why are we filled with doubt or fear or anger corporately? Why is it that we would say, I understand that we are to be about sharing the good news of the gospel with our Nineveh right here, and I'm happy to have that done by anybody else but me. I don't want to be the one who goes to do it. Or what about, I don't want the gospel to save those people. They, they shouldn't be saved. They're not good people like me. Why do we think such a way? Why do we think, uh, we got to get the right person in the White House now, but we don't even have a good person to choose to put in the White House. But yet we think that, you know, if we don't do this, then it's all going to fall apart. God is gracious and compassionate He's full of grace and compassion, slow to anger and abounding in love. This ought to fill our hearts, fill our lives with great joy. It is the confession we make with our lips and it is the confession we live with our lives. If God is not dead, then why are we living in such a way that it looks like he really is? That seems to be what happened to Jonah. But God gives him the good news You've confessed, 
and you've made that profession that I am gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love and all of those things, but it hasn't melted your heart. But now let me melt it for you, O Jonah, God says. Let me melt that for you by giving you a picture of my providence. My providence. Providence is God's most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing every creature and every action. That's what our shorter catechism says. It is God controlling all that he has ordained. He is in control. He is watching over us. He is caring for us like a father tends to his children, like a sheep to shepherds. Look what he says then. In verse 1 and then again in verse 9 when Jonah talks about uh, his anger. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord. And then the Lord said, do you have any right to be angry? Verse 4. And then we talk about this vine. He was angry because of the Ninevites. Those people were being converted. Those people were hearing the good news. Those people were, were lost and now were being saved. And so he became angry. And then in verse 9 we read the same thing. Jonah got angry. Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? Jonah, or, or God asked Jonah. The word anger there, by the way, my friends, is the same word that we read when Nathan approached King David. You remember the story? Where Nathan goes to David after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and David is told there was a man who had a little lamb and somebody came and stole that lamb because he didn't want to take the lamb from his own flock and he killed that lamb so that he could have a feast and it says that David burned with anger burned with deep anger and passion. Same word. So here's Jonah, burning with anger. Why? Because of his selfishness. Because things didn't turn out the way he wanted. Those people were being saved, and I didn't want those people to be saved. And then this vine that I had that was giving me some respite from this scorching sun and wind is now gone because some worm ate it up. Do you get the picture here? In chapter 1, God provided a storm, and then God provided a big fish, and now in chapter 4, God provides a little bitty worm and a little bitty vine. God is in control of all things, friends, big and small, big and small. Jonah wanted his way. Jonah wanted to be comforted. Jonah wanted the gospel to go to whom he wanted the gospel to go to. Jonah was selfish, and so he cried out in anger, burned in anger. But God came right there in the heat of that anger and revealed himself to be the God of providence, a God who cares for everything. Get what he's saying here. He, God is ending here. Do you have any right to be concerned about this vine, verse 10? You didn't tend to it. You didn't make it grow. What is, what is God saying? The good news that God is saying to Jonah is simply this, my friends. I, I provided the vine for you. I provided the worm because you were going to sit there and not do what I had commanded you to do. You had no control over any of that. So what gives you the right to be angry? You have no control over salvation. The salvation that God gives is the gift of, of life. The gift that God gives. The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And this is what God is saying to Jonah. You have no control over anything. 
It's all by me because I am filled with grace and compassion. I'm slow to anger and abounding in love. And I provided the wind and it made you angry. The scorching wind, the Hebrew word there that, that, that winded like in the desert where it, you can't even see because the sand is blowing around so much that it's beating him down and down and down. And then God says, if I wanted to remove the heat of my wrath and judgment from the Ninevites, what business is that of yours? I wanted to be gracious and compassionate and take the heat off of them, the heat of my judgment, and give them salvation. Why would you be angry over that? Our God is a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. But here's the good news about providence, friends. Listen very carefully. Two things. It is the gentle care of our loving Father. The gentle, heavenly care of our Father. But it is also His desire, His will to reveal our sin to us that we might put off our anger and live a life of rejoicing. He is a sovereign God who is in control of all things and a providential God who tends to you and the activities of your life in such a way that from time to time he would even discipline you because of his deep love and affection. He meets us in our anger and says, look at that, see that, but then look at me and look at the grace and compassion, the slowness of anger, the abounding love that I have lavished on you in your Savior, my Son. And it turns our anger into great joy, rejoicing how deep the Father's love for us, that he would reveal even our anger that we get so mad when his will isn't our will, and then he comes right along and says, I got this, I got a bigger picture than you. What a God. What a God. What a God. Philip Melanchthon, you may know that name, great reformer, theologian, friend of Martin Luther's, said this to him one particular day. This day you and I will discuss the governance of the universe. Luther said this unexpected comment in response. This day you and I will go fishing and we will leave the governance of the universe to God himself. <laughs> I knew I liked Luther, he's a fisherman. Had to be a fly fisherman, I know, not a bait fisherman. Had to be a fly fisherman. But isn't that true? Isn't that true? Today, we're going to live life filled with joy. Rejoicing. Because God is in control of all things. He is providentially caring for all things this Reformation Sunday. He's in control, my friends. Look how the book ends. Should I not be concerned about that great city? What did Jonah do in response? We don't know. What will Redeemer Presbyterian Church do in response? That's to be determined by the way we live our life. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a joy it is to know that we are saved. We are yours from the foundation of the world. We are yours. You have determined it. You have decreed it. You have effectually applied your grace and mercy to us. Lord, thank you for that mercy that you've given to us in Jesus.
Thank you, Father, that you are providentially caring for all things. And you are also in that providence even revealing our sin to us, our anger, when we, like Jonah, want things our way instead of your way. Would you come alongside right in the heat of that battle and remind us that you are a gracious, compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in all things. Father, enable us now by the power of your Spirit to take this gospel into our Nineveh. Having studied this beautiful little book, may it spur us on to preach the good news of the gospel to the saints around us, to see the lost come to saving faith, to see the dead be given life eternal, abundant, and free. Do that, please. For your own glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.